Oh my God, what a segment. And this may be the best episode of Raw I have covered on this show yet. I came for the main event. I was reminded of the opening segment. And then I had this segment plopped in my lap. Damn, that was great. Welcome back to DM1. This is episode 8 of Who Booked This? My name, of course, is Bradley, and I will be bringing to you what I call vintage wrestling reviews for you to listen to at your leisure. Please give me a follow if you can over on Twitter at Emerald Hacksaw for all updates on the show. If you don't already know, episodes drop every Thursday at 3 o'clock on anchor.fm forward slash DM1 podcast. While you're there, you can send some support my way if you like what I'm doing. Hit the support button and drop either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. When you do, you will get a shout out here on the show. If you want to do some more to stroke my ego, send me a message. It can be words of encouragement, a thank you, a recommendation for a future show, anything. That message will be heard right here on Who Booked This. Just hit that message button to do so. Not only can you listen to DM1 on Anchor.fm, you can do so on five other platforms. Those platforms are Spotify, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Breaker. Follow the show on your platform of choice so you don't miss an upload. This is part two of looking into a three-week period of Monday Night Raw from the spring of 2004. This week, we will jump ahead two weeks into the timeline, and it is the night after Bad Blood. We are live from the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio. The attendance is unknown for whatever reason, but we had a TV rating of 3.7. This is episode 577 of Monday Night Raw, or season 12, episode 24 on Peacock. Last night at Bad Blood, Chris Benoit retained the World Heavyweight title by beating Kane, and Triple H and Shawn Michaels had the longest Hell in a Cell match of all time, and this match is still polarizing to this very day. This year in pay-per-view is nowhere close to as bad as 2006 or 2007, but WWE got the idea that they would convince fans to order two brand-exclusive pay-per-views in the same month. Raw's Bad Blood was on June 13th, while SmackDown would hold the Great American Bash just two weeks later. And then two weeks after that, Raw held another exclusive pay-per-view, Vengeance. For the record, Bad Blood had a buy rate of .47, the Great American Bash had a .57, and Vengeance had a .55. The show that we're going to be talking about this week, I have a very personal memory with. I spent many Monday nights staying at my grandparents' house, and I was about to turn 11, so we watched Raw every single week. I have an attachment to 2004 Raw for better or worse because of this particular instance in my life. I will go into more detail at the end of the show, so let's get into the fallout of Bad Blood because this opening segment is a doozy. You already know that the signature is the same, so we will begin with Raw General Manager Eric Bischoff pacing back and forth in his office. There is a knock at the door, and Kane walks in. Bischoff wanted to see the Big Red Machine, and he says that Kane and Benoit had a tremendous match last night. Bischoff goes to tell Kane that they have to crown a new number one contender, and this sets Kane off. He is backing Bischoff down. Bischoff is pleading that Kane will get another shot at the Big Gold Belt. 
and he says he hopes Kane understands the situation he is in because Kane is a professional. Kane says, yeah, I'm a professional. Before walking away, Kane wrecks Bischoff's office. He breaks everything in sight. Man, why didn't Kane win the world title at any point in the last year? This would be the one-year anniversary or close to it from when Kane unmasked in Madison Square Garden back in 2003, an episode I will be getting to at some point. And I will still bring this up. Kane should have won the world title at some point during this initial masked Kane run. But I digress. The intro hits and Jerry Lawler greets us on air. The main event of tonight's Raw sees the Canadian connection of World Heavyweight Champion Chris Benoit, Edge, and Chris Jericho take on Evolution, Intercontinental Champion Randy Orton, Batista, and Ric Flair in a six-man elimination tag team match. Jim Ross is in the ring to talk about the Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and Triple H. JR says we will get exclusive footage from that match later tonight. And he says that words cannot adequately describe the footage we will see. Triple H and Sean can't compete tonight, but they are in the building. JR wants the two men to come out to the ring to be appreciated by the fans and to bring closure to their rivalry. HBK comes out first. His hand and forehead are bandaged. He has a huge bruise on his forearm and he has a bit of a limp. He gets a standing O from Dayton. HBK chants ring through the Nutter Center. Triple H's music hits, and the reaction is not the same, but what is the same is how Triple H looks. His forehead is bandaged, and he has a huge black eye as well as a limp of his own. I noted in the open that this Hell in a Cell match is the longest in history. Triple H and Shawn Michaels went nearly 45 minutes on pay-per-view. That is definitely one of the longest matches in WWE pay-per-view history. Hell, it's one of the longest matches in WWE history, period. JR wants the two men to conduct themselves in the way they were asked. In the 30 years JR has been in the business, their match will live for generations to come. He tells the two men that this must end. JR is respectfully asking them to shake hands and end this rivalry so they can both get on with their lives. They both extend their hands roughly at the same time, but Triple H is thinking twice on the handshake. Before we get that Eric Bischoff's music hits, and he is rushing to the ring. He's looking behind him. He's looking frantic. He says he has an important announcement as it pertains to the number one contender. But before he can get that out of the way, Kane's pyro hits, and it's the never-ending segment. JR basically says the hell with this and bounces out of the ring. Bischoff leaves, and it's just Triple H and Shawn Michaels in the ring with Kane. Kane stares down the once and future DX before nailing Shawn with a boot. Triple H runs through the gambit of emotions, he's frozen in fear, then he's looking to fight Kane before throwing his hands up and backing away from Kane. He is leaving HBK to be killed by the big red machine. When Triple H gets off the apron, he is still selling his ribs. I thought that was a nice touch. Kane goes outside and kicks Sean again. This time, Sean's head was resting against the ring post. Kane then grabs a chair from underneath the ring. He throws Sean's limp body back in the ring puts the chair around Sean's neck, and pilmanizes the heartbreak kid. He stomps on the chair after jumping off the middle rope. Sean is bleeding profusely from the mouth. His throat could be crushed. Kane laughs and walks back up the ramp. JR, the ringside doctor, and referees are assisting Sean in the ring while Kane watches in approval from the stage. 
And then the show goes to a break as Sean is struggling for air. When I first put this episode on my list, I totally forgot that this was the fallout from Bad Blood and that this segment happened on this particular show. When I saw the thumbnail to this episode on Peacock, I thought, holy shit, how could I have forgotten this? I knew that this episode of WBT was going to be that much better after I saw that thumbnail. When we come back from break, JR is back on the call and is throwing to what we just saw. The ringside doctor, the EMTs, and the referees are still with Sean in the ring. Sean is in shock from what happened. They actually have an oxygen tank hooked up to Sean to help sell what we've just seen. I really like that. I don't remember seeing that the first time this happened. Jerry Lawler was always the heel announcer. He always rooted for the heels, especially Triple H. But you can kind of hear King lose respect for Triple H after leaving Sean to be destroyed by Kane. I thought that was also a really nice touch. King didn't quite know how to react to what Triple H did, or I guess in this case didn't do. We see the whole shot of Sean being wheeled to the ambulance from the ringside area. We cut to another break as Sean is being put in the ambulance. And I actually like the way they did the commercial breaks here. Before we continue, the WWE Cool Color of the Night is brought to us by Maxim Hair Color for Guys. Yeah, that's still a sponsor in this particular program. It's from Bad Blood last night. Lita plants Gail Kim with a DDT, and as she goes for the pin, Trish Stratus rolls her up for the three count, and Trish becomes the first ever five-time women's champion in history. Victoria was actually defending her title in this match. Now, I don't know what would have happened between the episode of Raw we saw two weeks ago and now, uh, but we knew that Victoria was going to be defending the title against Gail Kim. I don't remember how Trish and Lita would have been added to that match, but it happened uh, within two weeks of itself. This match also went less than five minutes. A fatal four-way match went less than five minutes, only in the women's division in 2004. And out comes the new women's champion, Trish Stratus, with her problem solver, Tyson Tomko. They kick off the action here. It's a mixed tag match between Trish and Tomko and Lita and Matt Hardy. There's a perfectly timed sound here. Uh, JR is telling us that Shawn Michaels was sent to the hospital, and we are seeing video of this while Trish's music is still playing live in the arena. And what we end up hearing is the, the part in Trish's theme song where she, or rather, where the music goes, and I'm going to rub it in your face before going to an instrumental. And as soon as the lyrics stop, we hear the siren from the ambulance in the video at the best time possible. So it's basically, and I'm going to rub it in your face. That was great and bad at the same time. And I hope that what I just did was great and bad at the same time. I thought it was hilarious. And I had to stop and get a good chuckle out of it before I could finish the show. As Matt and Lita make their way out, we get some more Matt facts. Um, Matt and Lita are not morning people, and Matt and Lita enjoy margaritas, so that's good to know. Trish and Lita start the contest. JR reiterates that Trish is the first five-time women's champion. That is not exactly true. Uh, the whole myth that the Fabulous Moolah held the women's title for over 10,000 days is exactly that. She actually did swap the belt with four other women from September 18, 1956 to October 10, 1978. Mula sold the rights of what would have been the NWA World's Women Championship to WWE on May 19, 1984. 
but Moolah would lose the title to Wendy Richter on July 23rd of that year and is recognized as the second ever WWE Women's Champion, despite the fact that I just told you that is not the case. Moolah did not hold the belt for a total of almost 28 years straight, but she might as well have. She held the belt for 10,376 of 10,416 days. She even held the belt for an uninterrupted 10-year span, September 18, 1956 to September 17, 1966, one day shy of 10 full years. And that isn't even the number WWE gives for her recognized reign. That number is 10,170. Nearly a year is missing from history for whatever reason. Uh, it's a very interesting scenario that the fabulous Moolah has on women's wrestling history. And I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention if they didn't already know. Moolah was already a five-time women's champion well before Trish Stratus ever even sniffed being a five-time champion. But we don't recognize those four reigns. They were basically non-existent. Um, there's like a three-week break in between Moolah's run at one time, a two-week break between another one, and then two two-day breaks. So the fact that, yes, she basically held the title for 28 you know, almost 28 years straight, but there is about 30 or 40 days that she actually wasn't champion in that 28-year period. But I just wanted to go off on that. Sorry, a little bit of a sidebar, but we'll get back to the action. Anyway, Trish would end her career a seven-time women's champion. The only other women to come close to matching Trish is actually just Mickey James, who was a five-time champion in her own right. And this is the uh, original women's championship. I'm not taking into account the Divas championship that would be brought in about, what, five years later? Or the Raw or SmackDown women's titles that we see today. Back to the action. Uh, Trish hit the Matrish fake out, but got popped with a clothesline by Lita. Trish tags in Tomko, so Lita must tag in Matt Hardy. The work rate may actually go down with Tyson Tomko in the ring. There is a botch where Hardy went for a crossbody off the middle rope. Tomko went to catch him, but Matt was too high on Tomko's shoulders. Tomko stumbles all the way across the ring while trying to hold on to Matt, but it's no use. They fall into the ropes and turnbuckle, and that's not even on Tomko. I know I just made that crack about Tomko and the, and the work rate, but that actually wasn't on him. That was more on Matt than anything else. Tomko hits Snake Eyes and a Northern Lariat. They go back and forth for a little bit. Tomko has power, but Matt keeps finding escapes. The women get back in. Lita is taking it to Trish. Lita hits an enzigiri and went for a cover, but Tomko literally lifts Lita by the waist of her pants. Matt saves his girl and sends Tomko to the floor. Matt hits a house show dive. Trish nails Lita from behind. She goes for stratisfaction, but Lita reverses. Lita hits the DDTita, and Lita and Matt get the victory. King tells us that Kane has left the building after his attack on Shawn Michaels. And JR tells us that Eugene will be on Chris Jericho's highlight reel later tonight. Eric Bischoff is back in his destroyed office. Triple H walks in and asks what happened. He says he hopes Shawn will be okay. And immediately after saying this, he starts asking about his number one contender spot. Triple H believes he is the number one contender after last night. 
Bischoff says yes and no. He says there is someone Triple H hasn't beaten, and it's his nephew, Eugene. Triple H asks Bischoff if he is serious. Bischoff makes a match for next week. It will be Triple H and Eugene, and if Triple H wins, he gets the number one contender spot. The video cuts kind of abruptly after getting a reaction from JR. I can imagine that something was edited out. Thanks, guys. But I can't blame Peacock because it may have been edited out before the transfer in April. So I don't know what's missing. I may still have this episode of Raw taped somewhere in, you know, in somewhere magical that someone would still have. I don't know. But it's probably no use to finding now. Who knows what would have been uh, edited out. When we come back from break, La Resistance are on their way to the ring. They won the World Tag Team titles two weeks ago here on Raw. We covered that last week. This particular episode of Raw falls on Flag Day, so we are having a Flag Day flag match. How is it that I watched a Memorial Day episode of Raw and then turned around and immediately watched a Flag Day episode of Raw? Couldn't have timed that any better. Couldn't have worked that out. The American and Quebec flags are hanging from the ceiling. La Resistance will be wrestling the Hurricane and Rosie. JR tells us that the winners will have their flag raised and the anthem will be played. This is a non-title affair because last night at Bad Blood, La Resistance held off Chris Benoit and Edge one more time to retain their belts. So Vaughn Grenier and the superhero in training, Rosie, begin the match. But Hurricane gets tagged in immediately. Grenier hotshots Hurricane after Conway distracts our superhero friend. Conway is in now and he is working over the Hurricane. Hurricane finds his way into a blockbuster on Conway and dueling tags bring Rosie and Grenier back in. Rosie hit a 180 leg drop, which was pretty neat. Hurricane went for the eye of the Hurricane on the outside, but was thrown into the ring post. Rosie splashes Grenier, and the finish came quick. Rosie went to suplex Grenier back into the ring, but Conway tripped Rosie. It's the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior spot. La Resistance get the win. Instant heat for the champions because the Canadian National Anthem will be played. It's cheap, patriotic heat. Yay! Grenier starts singing O Canada, and it sounds horrible. We then get another promo for the $250,000 Raw Diva Search. Yikes, nothing more, nothing less. Before we get into Chris Jericho's highlight reel with Eugene, we see the WWE Rewind brought to us by Snickers. It is stills from last night's Bad Blood. Chris Jericho beat Tyson Tomko. For some reason, we saw video of the finish to the women's title match earlier, but we got stills from the Jericho-Tomko match. That doesn't make any sense. Lita is backstage and she looks perplexed. The camera pans down and she is holding a pregnancy test. Oh boy, it has begun. Anyway, back to the ring. Out comes Y2J, Chris Jericho. Jericho welcomes us to Raw is Jericho. Jericho cuts to the chase and introduces Eugene. And the Eugene character is still in its infancy here, like I said uh, last week. I think Eugene is great, the character was fantastic, and the only issue that I have is that he never evolved as a character. We basically see him the exact same way uh, for the next, you know, three years uh, until he becomes some kind of superhero. I lost track of what the Eugene lore was after uh, that, so... Jericho says that he and Eugene have a lot in common. They both won last week, and they are both sexy beasts. Uh, Jericho asks Eugene what his favorite Y2J moment is. Eugene goes to speak, but is holding the microphone upside down. Neat little comedy spot there. I got a chuckle out of it. 
Jericho helps Eugene out, and Eugene says, Chris Jericho peed in William Regal's tea, and William Regal drank it. Regal shoots Eugene a death glare. Regal says that it wasn't bloody funny. Eugene then says that he did the same thing last week, and Eugene chants, flood the Nutter Center. Everyone got a kick out of that. Once again, proving that Nick Dinsmore was just too good by making this character work. Jericho wants to get serious with Eugene. Uncle Eric has made a match between Eugene and Triple H next week, and Eugene butts in by saying Triple H is his favorite wrestler. He then mimics Triple H's entrance pose. Jericho tells Eugene that he may like Triple H, but Triple H doesn't like him. Triple H is only out for himself, and the only reason why Uncle Eric made this match is so Triple H can beat the hell out of Eugene and end his career. And Eugene is confused. He's asking Regal what Jericho's talking about. Regal respectfully does not answer, and Jericho is warning Eugene when Evolution's music hits, and I must say once again, Nick Dinsmore is so damn good in this role, I can't get over this. Triple H comes out, and Eugene is starstruck. His jaw is on the floor, and he is flubbering like a little kid. He is about to share the ring with his favorite wrestler in the whole world. Randy Orton has a present in his hand. Triple H is trying to introduce himself, but Eugene is marking out over the game. Regal does not trust Triple H for a damn second. Triple H says that he and the guys in Evolution are Eugene's friends. He says Jericho is a liar. Triple H says he is the biggest friend that Eugene has. And Triple H gifts Eugene with a Triple H hat, a shirt, and an 8x10. He says he got Eugene an XL shirt so Eugene can slip it on over the jacket. I laughed at that, can't lie. Uh, Triple H autographs the 8x10 and Eugene gives him a hug. Triple H gives the most smug look at Regal and Jericho when this happens. What a bastard Triple H is here and I fucking love it. The last gift is an Evolution shirt, but it's not for Eugene. Triple H wants Eugene's autograph. He tells Eugene to sign on the naked girl's butt. Triple H then asks Eugene if he will take a picture together and Eugene is ecstatic. A photographer comes in and Triple H says, on the count of three, I want you to say pedigree. And the crowd immediately gasps. Triple H fucking got him. Triple H stares at Eugene for the longest time just to make everyone think. And he explains that people are jealous that he and Eugene are friends. When people are jealous, they tell lies. Chris Jericho told Eugene lies. Triple H wants Eugene to promise that if anyone tells him bad things, to tell Triple H so he can deal with that person personally. Triple H tells Eugene that they will have the greatest match of all time next week, and this part of the segment was damn near uncomfortable. I loved it. Triple H tells Eugene, you're going to have a good time next week. I know I'm going to. Jericho is staring a hole in Triple H. Jericho does not trust Triple H in the slightest. Jericho says that he isn't fooled. He says he will be the first one in line cheering Eugene when he beats Triple H next week. And Triple H says that Eugene is his friend. Triple H says that Jericho, Edge, and Benoit will get what's coming to them later tonight. And then Triple H will get what's coming to him. Oh my god, what a segment. And this may be the best episode of Raw I have covered on this show yet. I came for the main event. I was reminded of the opening segment, and then I had this segment plopped in my lap. Damn, that was great. Backstage, we see Stacy Keebler looking for Lita. She asks if she can borrow Lita's elbow pads, and Lita asks Stacy if she can trust her while a literal camera is filming them. 
I hate this trope. I hate it. I always have. Lita says she has taken a pregnancy test and she is pregnant and Stacy is giddy for her. Lita doesn't want Stacy to tell anybody and Lita does not look happy about this news. Oh boy, it has begun. JR promotes the main event elimination tag before going to our next contest. Stacy Keebler and Nydia are in tag team action and Stacy is coming out to Kid Rock's shitty cover of Legs. I can't believe they waited this long, but Raw is brought to us by Maxim Hair Color for Guys, Full Spectrum Warrior on the original Xbox, and Stacker 2's YJ Stinger. Stacy and Nidia are taking on Gail Kim and Molly Holly. Molly is still wearing a wig to cover her bald head. She got her head shaved exactly two months ago at WrestleMania. I would think that the hair would have grown back by now. The match begins with Nidia and Gail. Three of the four women are wearing virtually the same thing. Molly is tagged in now. She's putting in work on Nydia. Stacy is tagged in. And JR says that Stacy is the least experienced wrestler in this match, despite the fact that she has been in the business for at least six years at this point. There is no heat for this match, by the way. Gail has Stacy's legs all tied up, but Nydia comes in and kicks her dead in the head. Molly is back in now. Gail and Molly are healing on Stacy. We get a double clothesline spot for no reason. Gail puts Stacy in a crazy stretch muffler, and Gail, Kim, and Molly Holly get the win. Up next is the SmackDown Rebound. GM Kurt Angle put United States Champion John Cena in a series of matches to determine who he will defend the title against at the Great American Bash. It's a series of five-minute challenges. The first man to beat Cena will get the shot at the title. Booker T was first, but time would expire. Rob Van Dam is next. His time expires as well. And then Rene Dupree is the last man out, but he gets beat. Yikes. Angle says fuck it and puts Cena in a four-way against Booker, RVD, and Dupree at the pay-per-view anyway. Eddie Guerrero has commandeered JBL's limo and slammed the limo all over the arena. Eddie and JBL are on a collision course to the bash. And finally... Paul Heyman is in the ring. He says he will become the most powerful man in the company when he takes control of The Undertaker. Undertaker comes out and bows to Heyman, who has the urn. And that's getting into a whole other type of segment that hopefully I can start covering SmackDown in 2004 and fall into that particular program because that's an interesting one. Before our main event, we see a montage of the Hell in a Cell match from Bad Blood last night. Triple H and Shawn Michaels went to war in a very polarizing match over 15 years later. As I have stated, we get a live shot on JR and Jerry Lawler. They run back the scenes that have played out tonight. We see Kane destroy Eric Bischoff's office and then Kane beat the piss out of Shawn Michaels. After this angle, Shawn would miss the entire summer, not returning until September. I've always wondered why uh, this was done. I'm very unsure of why this happened. And maybe Sean just wanted time off for church summer camp. I'm not entirely sure, but that's really the only thing I can think of. His kids were already born. He had been married for, you know, five years at this point. I'm just assuming it had something to do with church. He wanted to take time off for church. It was in the middle of the summer. Church summer camp is the only thing I can think of. The graphics are in place for next week. Triple H will take on Eugene. I can't believe it took me long enough to talk about the match graphics at this point. I loved the moving graphics so much. This is the peak of those graphics. I want them back, and I want more people to use them.
And it is finally main event time. Last week I talked about how I have a lot of memories of Monday Night Raw in 2004 because I spent nearly every Monday night at my grandparents' house. And last week I mentioned that I had a very special story to go along with this episode of Raw. As you can suspect, I specifically chose out this episode because of this match. I remembered this episode of Raw because of this six-man elimination tag match. I remembered this episode of Raw because of the six-man elimination tag match and not because of the opening segment with Kane crushing Sean's throat. The name of this episode of Who Booked This is This Main Event Puts Raw Into Overtime. This match goes only 35 minutes. And for this show to go 35 minutes and for it to put Raw into overtime means that this segment started with introductions and entrances around 10 o'clock at night. The show should have been going off the air by this point. I live in Missouri where the time zone is central, so Raw was on from 8 to 10. And if you remember, the cable and satellite guide had Raw listed from 8 to 10.05. Raw was always given a 5-minute overrun for no real reason. This match started at the time Raw was probably supposed to go off the air, if I remember correctly. For this show to go 30 minutes over makes no damn sense because this match should have started around 9.30. A few weeks ago, I talked about the Milan Miracle and the Cena-Michaels match in London being the week after. And again, I cannot wait to talk about that match. That match is probably the greatest in Raw history. They went 55 minutes that night. They took up the entire second hour of Monday Night Raw. That is how this should have worked out. Instead of the nothing women's match, the Hell in a Cell montage, and the SmackDown rebound, the elimination tag should have went on right after the highlight reel segment. It would have worked out perfectly because one half of the match was already in the ring. They could have just went straight into this match. I'm trailing off here. Anyway, right after Raw was our local 10 o'clock news. Our local 10 o'clock news went on for 30 minutes. Because this match went on for 35 minutes and started around the 10 o'clock hour, my grandparents missed the 10 o'clock news. And I remember my grandpa telling my grandma to go on to bed because this fucking episode of Raw isn't going off the air anytime soon. So my grandpa and I stayed up past 10.30 watching this crazy long TV main event. And one final bit about this night. It's 2004, so I was about to turn 11 years old. It's Monday night, so I have school the next day, and I had a bedtime. I had to go to bed at 9 o'clock every night. That, of course, was thrown out the window for Monday Night Raw. And for this episode of Raw, I was up about 90 minutes past my bedtime. So that is a very fond moment of mine, and above all else, that is why the June 14th, 2004 episode of Monday Night Raw is on my list for this podcast. Now, thank you for letting me indulge for a few minutes, and let's get into this. I'm going to try to figure out how to talk about this 35-minute match. I have never been able to do such a thing on the show yet, but we'll figure it out. They go all out with this match by giving it a pay-per-view quality pre-match introduction. Evolution is coming out first. It is Randy Orton, Batista, and Ric Flair with Triple H in their corner. JR talks about how this match could go down. We could have five different decisions rendered in this match. And King talks about how one team could have a 3-1 to one advantage. As Evolution is in the ring, King tells us that Vengeance is brought to us by 1-800-CALL-ATT. That is the next Raw pay-per-view in four weeks. Evolution is taking on the trio I will refer to as the Canadian Connection. The entrants go as follows. Chris Jericho, Edge, 
and the World Heavyweight Champion Chris Benoit. I should note that only Edge and Benoit got loud reactions. Maybe Jericho didn't get a loud reaction because we had already seen him tonight. I'm not sure, but I still think that that is interesting. Jericho and Orton start the match. Jericho is putting together some chain wrestling for the Legend Killer. Orton tags in Flair to escape Y2J, and Flair gets Jericho trapped in the Evolution corner. Evolution is completely rotated out as Batista is now in. He power slams Jericho before tagging Flair back in. Evolution is attempting to work over Jericho, but Jericho hits a big back body drop before tagging in Edge. Edge then hits a back body drop of his own and clotheslines Flair over the top. Orton tries to sneak attack Edge, but Benoit checks him like the Edmonton Oilers, and then the Canadian Connection triple team Batista. Evolution is on the floor as we go to break, and when we come back, of course, Evolution is on the offense as Flair is chopping Benoit in the corner. Benoit turns the tide and starts chopping Flair, and they are beating the shit out of each other in the corner. Benoit hits a back body drop on Flair. That's three back body drops we've seen on Ric Flair by all three members of the opposing team. Edge gets tagged back in, but gets a thumb to the eye. Neither man is able to keep the momentum, as Randy Orton is now tagged back in. Tonight is the sixth month anniversary of Randy Orton's Intercontinental Championship reign. He would have won the title back at Armageddon in 2003 in December. Benoit gets tagged in, but gets trapped in the Evolution corner. Batista destroys Benoit with a spine buster. Quick tags again from Evolution as Orton is back in the match. Flair is legal again and continues to light up Benoit with chops. Flair is working over Benoit's arm. Benoit is trying to fight off the heels, but Batista is tagged back in and puts a hurtin' on the world champion. Benoit takes a hard whip into the buckle. Batista cracks his shoulder into the ring post, and that allows Benoit to tag in Jericho. Batista is trying to overpower Jericho, but Jericho is finessing his way out. They have a back and forth before Batista nails a hard clothesline, and we are breaking down again between all six men. Edge hits a spear out of nowhere, Benoit hits a flying headbutt, Jericho then hits the lion salt, and Batista is the first one gone. Over 15 minutes, and we have our first elimination. Flair is now working over Jericho. You can see Jericho calling spots before Flair tags in Orton. Kind of a little flub there on Jericho's part. Rest hold Randy is in effect again as Orton has Jericho in a chin lock for at least two minutes. Edge is in now and takes it to Orton. Edge hits a big superplex and is loading up for the spear, but Triple H prevents that by tripping Edge. Flair is back in and is whipping Edge from pillar to post and chopping him at the same time. Edge nails a flying clothesline to try to catch a breath. Flair tries for nothing as he is thrown off the top rope. Jericho is back in and hits another back body drop. Nature has been flying all over tonight. Jericho has the walls in, but Triple H distracts the referee. Orton hits a huge hanging RKO on Jericho, basically floating in midair for that. I really love the way Orton pulled that off. Flair pins Jericho, and we are even again. JR is throwing to what will be our final commercial break. The network is letting them stay on the air until this match is over. Benoit and Orton are going back at it when we come back. Orton tags Flair back in, and Flair and Benoit are chopping each other again. Ric Flair has hit two Flair flops in this match. It's been about 20 minutes, and I am about over the chop. Orton is back in and has another chin lock on edge. We don't need another rest hold. It's been 20 minutes. Who are we slowing it down for, kid? Big spinning wheel kick by Edge that allows him to tag Benoit again. At this point, these four guys are going spot, spot, tag, spot, spot, tag. Benoit and Flair are beating the shit out of each other again. 
Benoit goes for a trio of German suplexes. Orton tries to save Flair, but gets a German of his own. Dueling tags see Edge and Orton back in. Edge puts in work on Orton and Flair. He hits Flair with a spear, but gets caught in an RKO by Orton. Edge is gone. It's Randy Orton and Ric Flair versus Chris Benoit. Benoit does catch Flair in the crossface, and then Flair is gone, just like that. Benoit was not against the odds for very long. And Benoit and Orton are the final two. And now we get a ref bump. Triple H tries to save Orton, but gets caught in a German suplex of his own. Triple H is selling like crazy, still living up to the Hell in a Cell match from last night, so that was fun. Orton went for a third RKO, but Benoit reverses. He then locks in the sharpshooter, and finally Orton taps. Chris Benoit is the sole survivor. Benoit, Jericho, and Edge get the win, and Benoit is staring down Jericho as we go off the air. And that will do it for this episode of Monday Night Raw. As I stated earlier, this may be the best Raw I have reviewed yet. Two months of episodes of Who Booked This has led me to this show. I knew I was going to be able to find a top-to-bottom great show, and I got it here. We had that great opening segment with Kane, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. We had the mid-show highlight reel with Jericho, Edge, Regal, and Evolution. And then we had a fun main event. This was a very good show. And when I was looking up the time for the main event, I actually noticed there was a match that took place between the women's tag and the main event. I thought that something had been removed from Peacock. Turns out, this was a dark match during the live broadcast. Tajiri and Albert actually had a match during the SmackDown Rebound, the Hell in a Cell montage, and the commercial breaks in between. And I don't know of any other time where a dark match took place in the middle of a live broadcast. So that's very interesting. I would love to know why it ended up working out that way. But... Again, this was a very good episode of Monday Night Raw. Like I said, probably the best top-to-bottom episode of Raw that I have covered in the last two weeks on this show. So this was a very pleasant surprise. I'm glad that I remembered the main event because I had no idea what I was going to be seeing on this show. Of course, after I saw the thumbnail with Triple H and Shawn Michaels, and then I knew, oh, hey, it's the night after Bad Blood, and I remember what happened then. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Who Booked This? If you will, please follow me on Twitter at Emerald Hacksaw and support me and or leave me a message on anchor.fm forward slash DM1 podcast. You can also listen to the entire archive while you are there. I have now eight full episodes for your listening pleasure. Click the support button and you will have three monthly tiers for you to subscribe from. 99 cents, 4.99, and 9.99 when you do so, I will make sure you will get a shout out on the show. Click the message button and tell me how you like the show. You can also leave me recommendations for a future episode. You can get featured on the show by doing that as well. Every bit counts and I am grateful for it all. You can follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Breaker so you do not miss an episode. I've enjoyed staying somewhat chronological these past two weeks, but this won't stay because at the same time, I like bouncing around the timeline, and that will be the case next week. I will be going back to 2007. We talked about the Milan Miracle on WBT4, but we won't be talking about Cena and Michaels in London just yet. I've decided to leave a lead-in for next week's show. I think I'm going to start doing that from now on. WBT9, next week we'll see us talk about the night Randy Orton 
punted John Cena's dad in the head. And that is also something I remember very vividly. Can't wait to talk about that and see what's going on about four months later from the Milan Miracle. I will see you all next week. Catch you later, guys.